fellow true believers, and welcome to episode two of Ultimate Spin, the international fan podcast about Miles Morales, Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man. My name is Brian. I write reviews for SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, broadcasting from the United States. My co-hosts once again are Noor in Canada and Taz in New Zealand. We're pleased to welcome our newest member, Kyle, joining us from the UK. It's August 2014, meaning it's time for Miles Morales issue four. Oh my goodness. And all the Ultimates issue five. Oh my goodness. We'll also look at the Ultimate Comics influence on the Spider-Man films, answer your questions, and preview what's coming up for Miles this fall. And we'd love to have you join the conversation as well. You can write us at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. For now, let's get to it. It's time for the Ultimate Spin. Gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing well. Good, and you? Doing all right. Welcome, Kyle, to Ultimate Spin. Mm. <laughs> Excitement. So something we should take care of that we didn't actually get to in our initial episode. We were so eager to start talking, we didn't actually bother to introduce ourselves. So maybe we can uh, take just a minute before we jump into it and just say a little bit about who we are and your first Spider-Man issue. Sure thing. Noor Harak. I'm 18 years old and uh, I'm from Toronto, Ontario. I want to start getting into film production in the future as a career. And the first Spider-Man issue that I picked up was Amazing Spider-Man 700.1 to 700.5. Those were like the uh, standout issues, and I wasn't into comics yet. I just got into it about a year and a half ago, and then from then, I binge-read everything Spider-Man I could. That was your entry point? That's interesting. Yeah, but I always claimed that I was like the biggest Spider-Man fan, and that I just never read any of the comics. And I was like, why am I not doing that? A year and a half ago, I was in a comic book store, and I was like, you know what? It starts now. So I picked up those five, I read them, fell in love with them, and then from then I binge read 1 to 700 in a matter of, like, months. And then including Ultimate with it and all that, here we are today. Wow. It was a daunting task. But <laughs> Sounds fun. Taz, who is actually speaking to us technically from the future, because you're all the way in New Zealand. I am. I'm, I'm from the future. You can expect <laughs> me for it. <laughs> I it, it's almost impossible to nail down my first issue because I've 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 literally used Spider-Man comics to learn how to read. Admittedly, a few years late because I only learned how to read when I was seven. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I I actually I live in New Zealand, but I was uh, born in Wales in Aberystwyth, Wales. And then I lived in London for a while, then I lived in Portugal for a while, then I lived in Southampton for eight years, and then I moved here. So That's literally my whole life story. I'm an wow. incredible <laughs> person. <laughs> I feel sorry for you that you live uh, in London. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for three days and I hated it. I couldn't wait to move back. It's I, so so many days when I was in London, I would wake up and something randomly annoying would have happened. Like one day I woke up and there was just a car upside down near where I lived. I have no idea how it got there. It was just there. <laughs> it was just uh, I don't like London. Southampton wasn't bad, apart from the people. It's not the north. That's it. That's it. That's, that's that's the good part. It's not the north. And then Kyle, so you're in the UK, originating from the great city that is Manchester, um, in England. Um, I'm surprisingly, anybody actually looks. At, if do you see a picture of me, 
try and figure out how old I am, because generally people will get it wrong. But I'm actually 21 years old. I run my own website, um, nerdsandchain.com, which ev- after every day I wonder, why, Kyle? Why did you decide to do this? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> my first actual Spider-Man issue was um, Amazing Spider-Man 653. I've only been really been reading since 2011. It's one of those things where I want I've liked the idea of comics. I mm-hmm. just didn't know where to go buy them, which is I think for a lot of people is can be a stumbling block. And for me, it lasted eighteen years of my life, so you know <laughs> that is what it is. You guys are making me feel very old because I'm actually a child of the eighties. I was born in New York City and then grew up in the suburbs, lived in the Midwest for a while. And I'm now in uh, New Jersey. So if you're reading The Ultimate Universe, you know we're still rebuilding after being destroyed by Galactus. <laughs> but, uh, so I grew up in the 80s at a time where comic books were cheap. They were, you know, 50, 75 cents. And they were in the grocery store as you were checking out. They were in bookstores. Marvel at the time was reprinting all of their old issues, their uh, Stanley, Steve Ditko issues, as a series called Marvel Tales. And so you could pick up these old stories for 50 cents a pop. And so I grabbed a reprint of Amazing Spider-Man 44, which was Spider-Man and the Lizard. And it was neat because it was a self-contained story and I was hooked and then got back into it recently in a big way when my kids discovered Spider-Man. That led me to read about what's going on with Miles and Ultimate. And here we are. That's awesome. So speaking of which, we should, uh, we have a lot to talk about. We should jump into Miles Morales number four, because oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a big one. Just everything about it was really good. Like we had the art style, obviously, had the story really developed and it wasn't, it didn't give too much away, right? It left a lot open for issue number five, but it gave us enough to make us like go, oh my God, like this is phenomenal. And uh, the cover art was great as well. It just drew me in as soon as I bought it. When we mentioned it on the last episode, I intentionally did not look at the cover art because I wanted to see it when it came out and it totally conveyed a different thing to what I saw. Like it was... Not at all representative of the issue, but it was very, very cool. I think the covers for this series have been so interesting because they're not necessarily, as you say, representative of the issue, maybe in terms of content or specific sequence. But I think it's actually a great commentary on sort of the book itself. I think if you look at this cover, which is this bold image of Peter Parker, red and blue Spider-Man, struggling with Miles in the black costume. They're struggling with each other, and he's actually, like, ripping the costume, like he's ripping the spider off of Miles' chest. Mm. No, that didn't happen in the book, but in a way, that's kind of what this story is about. Like, you all of a sudden, that's the conflict of this book. Like, you ha- the book is called Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man, so it's his story. All of a sudden, Peter Parker's back. Whose book is this now? Is Peter back? Is it really him? Every single page, I mean, you could spend quite a bit of time on. You know, and it's only been three issues before this building up to this huge thing. And like, this is the like make or break moment to pay it off. And I, I think it really did. Yeah. I'm just piggybacking on what you're saying about the cover. I get the impression of it. Like basically, even in just ripping it off, that Peter Parker's winning. And then mm. for it, for the issue itself to have 
Peter Parker return to Spider-Man life and be the main reason why they win the day. The only reason that Miles is probably still alive now is because Peter interfered. It shook up the Goblin and they were able to capitalise on that. But the issue itself, I think especially Justin Ponza. Yep, the colorist. Yeah, it's probably probably for me the best colorist currently working today. I'm always a fan of night, how people work the night sh- the night um, shoots. So it's all the fire, all the smoke, and everything. Obviously, this is this is Marquez's pencils, but all the all Ponza's lighting it just brings all that to life, and it's just so perfect. So you've got the take um, the first time you see Goblin in the issue itself. And you've just got to see him coming out of the fire, and you've got the you're making him look as um, threatening and powerful, and you also kind of keep him in the dark as well at the same time, keep part of his body in the dark at the same time. That just to me just looks incredible. This issue and this series in general has a very cinematic feel to it for me, and I think having a battle at night is really striking and effective, and I think a great payoff in terms of lighting is you have these helicopters flying overhead shining light down on them yeah and it just made the brawl that much more intense and the cops are showing up the lights are blaring and there's fire and smoke and then this is balanced with these interior scenes where people are reacting to this and the coloring there is also remarkable because it's part of the pun both ends of the spectrum really because you have these kind of warm quiet intimate scenes with people in their rooms or wherever watching on their televisions or computers about these events unfolding and then you go cut back outside just explosions and fire and it's just really intense it reminded me a lot of the uh first confrontation between venom and peter parker when he's in his hoodie and and his civvy clothes essentially and it's in the rain yeah yeah and it reminded me of that level of really great art with a really beautiful scene if if that makes sense like the venom symbiote in the dark looked amazing and peter looked amazing and that really it was different, obviously, because of all the flames, but it really did remind me of that. I, I had a little flashback. Katie Bishop being, we're really curious as to whether she could be trusted with Miles' identity. Yes. First thing she does is in this uh, book is tell somebody who we have no idea, who we haven't met before, no idea if they can be trusted. And Katie just tells her flat out with like mere minutes or hours or however long but we know it was within the same day that katie found out and we speculated on this katie's a really mysterious character katie we're not we weren't sure last week if she could be trusted and uh now we see her telling somebody else miles's secret kind of confirming that maybe this wasn't the best choice for miles like maybe a little bit of uh, more thought should have been put into it but We'll find out later on. In the last issue, there's this moment of, you know, revealing his identity and then her reaction. And she ran away. I was like, okay, that was dramatic, but that's not really what I was interested in. I was interested in the goblin and Miles facing him. And so you had that cliffhanger where they're facing each other. And then issue four opens with Katie running home. And that to me was funny because it's like, now? Like, (laughs) we're going to do this now? But then it's interesting because if you read the dialogue she has with her sister, like they're really concerned about their parents finding out. Yeah, I was I was going to ask, who do you think her parents are? And I think the clue is in the first sentence of this book because they have the recap section in the book. I agree. I think it's the Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And the first sentence mentions a pair of mystery characters dressed as Spider-Man 
has embarked on a crime spree across the city. They are not yeah. in this book. They are not in this issue, I should say. They're not mentioned at all. At all. is the big clue, right? It's- why? And then you're going to open with this. So then you read it again with that in mind. And her older sister, Misha, is telling her, like, mom and dad will kill him. Mm. And not in that, like... Not in the... Like, oh, oh my God. have got like, a boyfriend way. Yeah, like, oh, the like, kill. their dad's going to totally kill him. Like, no, they are going to kill him. So is yeah. it... The- is it the parents? Is it is it them? Like it could be, you know, her and her sister. Who knows? But there's a connection there, and I love how that's kind of put out there in plain sight. And before you have a chance to really even kind of process it, the next page is that double spread goblin Spider-Man face-off. It's great. It's I think it's really well executed to kind of keep you on your toes and keep you thinking. And speaking of that spread, it's a gorgeous spread too. It's like probably one of the best I've seen. Like not just in the Miles series so far, but in like the entire. Uh, ultimate spider-man run this was one of the best i've seen especially because like it takes you back sort of to the death of spider-man arc you see a lot and it, even throughout this whole comic you see a lot of memories of that scene with peter i mean it's the same essentially the same battle of green goblin versus spider-man peter street yeah it was visually probably my favorite ultimate issue that i've seen in at least the last two runs like it's it's spectacularly good in terms of his art style we haven't even gotten around to mentioning that Peter Parker actually shows up in the middle of this fight. Like just when the fight gets incredibly intense, Spider-Man shows up. In the last episode was one of my, if he showed up, he might be the real Spider-Man. So I think I'm one step closer to believing he's the real Spider-Man. You just had this in the main continuity with Superior Spider-Man and you had Peter Parker return versus the Green Goblin. And it was built up over the entire series. I don't know about you guys, but I felt the actual resolution of that buildup was kind of underwhelming. It didn't grab me the way I thought it would. It didn't sort of live up to the buildup. Here in this book, for whatever reason, I am not 100% on board with this is the real Peter. I'm still trying to figure out what is the out. Is he a clone? Is he? How can this last? How can they make this work? I am still in that boat. I, I still don't think it's the real Peter, but him showing up is one of my marks of it might be. That page where he shows up and he's there with the with the wisecracks and the, the composition of the page, the way it's laid out, he's standing there with the fire, he's got the full-on hero pose with the lighting and he's got the smart aleck remarks and then those just wordless reactions of everyone in the cast. That page blew me away and you compare that to like the superior spider-man equivalent of that where he's standing in this dark room back in his costume he says my turn and that was supposed to be this kind of punch the air moment and i didn't feel that whereas here a moment i didn't even necessarily want or was looking for i was i was blown away like yes (laughs) he's back i think it's one of those things where we knew this is one of the things that there was no getting around sooner or later Superior Spider-Man had to end and Peter Parker had to come back. And that is the rules of the 616 universe. Captain America will always be Steve Rogers. Tony Stark will always be Iron Man. And Peter Parker Mm -hmm. will always be Spider-Man. And Thor will always be Thor. Yeah, where Superior Spider-Man kind of was one of those hindrances towards the series in that you knew that this had to end the fact that the Ultimate Universe has, for the past 14 years or so ever, gone through the rules of dead is dead. There's not been any speculation, really. 
as to whether Peter was dead. Whereas if Peter dies, obviously again, 616, you assume that he's alive in some fashion. The last time they tried to replace him before that was what? The Clone Saga, where they decided, is Peter Parker really Peter Parker? Is Ben Riley the real deal? Blah, de, blah, de, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. And um, in case you hadn't noticed, people didn't like that, and they decided <laughs> to change that. I can't for the life of me figure out why, but seeing him now, it's from day one. The easiest, the easiest things to label him down as is a clone. I think that's where the majority yeah. of people, and I'm still pretty sure he's a clone. I don't think he's aware that he's a clone. I think it will be another element of when Peter's father showed up in the last Spider-Man series, the Ultimate Spider-Man series, when uh, he showed up and he thought he was real. He thought he was his real dad, but he was actually just an advanced clone of Peter. Which makes me think that this this is a clone that thinks he's Peter because it's happened before. They show up, they're still around. And so it's very possible that it's still a clone. I want it to be the real Spider-Man because I want uh, an Ultimate Spider-Man comic alongside Miles, but it's probably a clone, and he's probably going to be killed or go away. Despite myself, I got caught up in the you know the moment when he shows up, but then there's still it's still like well, it can't really be him, can it? As cool as it is to see them side by side and take out the Goblin together, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's still it's still kind of a wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Was there anyone? anybody convinced otherwise that Peter Parker was dead at the end of the death of Spider-Man? It was pretty conclusive. Peter Parker died, blah de blah de blah I agree, but the Green Goblin, to me, was pretty dead as well, and he just showed up in a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. Yeah, I never, this is the thing that I don't get. I never thought of him as dying for, this, for the sole reason that he's a Green Goblin. That's one of the reasons. Yeah. And two is that if you think of it as him dying... Then you're thinking of Peter Parker, yeah, he he saved Aunt May and that, but he did it at the cost of breaking one of his own rules, and that's killing him. Because essentially, Peter Parker's last act is of murder if he kills yeah. the Green Goblin with that. And that's why right. I never believed fully that he killed, that Norman was ever dead. See, that's actually the reason I thought it, he was dead. For a long time, I thought that he died... And he killed Norman because he had to defend the people he loved. That was my rationale for the, his dying. Like he broke his rule to protect those people because he had to. I found that last shot, and you know maybe I have to kind of dig it out again. But that last shot in the death of Spider-Man kind of ambiguous as to whether Norm or the Goblin was dead. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. I, it's just how I interpreted it. it was- like you guys, I'm not completely sold that this is 100% Peter Parker. We have no information on him. He just really popped out and out of like out of nowhere. The one thing that I doubt they're like the writers have been doing such a good job with this series that I doubt they would just write it off of oh he's a clone or oh he's from another dimension, and um, and I see no reason for why Peter couldn't come back. The justification for why Norman comes back is that the Oz formula helps him regenerate and sort of a similar healing factor to what uh, Wolverine or Deadpool would have. But when you think about it, like this isn't uh, this isn't the same like main continuity Peter Parker would dealing with. This isn't a radioactive spider bite. This is an Oz injected spider bite. And if the same Oz formula is flowing through Peter uh, that's flowing through Norman Osborn, I don't see uh, why Peter wouldn't be able to come back from the dead when Norman has done it in the comics like three or four times now at least. So I mean I'm not I'm not prepared to say yes, this is Peter Parker, he's back. But um, I don't see why that wouldn't be a logical conclusion 
over, oh, he's a clone or he's from another dimension. Yeah, I absolutely see that side of it. I, and that would be, in terms of this story, probably the bit, one that makes the most sense because they are similar in so many different ways. Their powers are from the same source, except, you know, filtered through a spider for Spider-Man and direct for Norman. So maybe, maybe, you know, just maybe uh, Spider-Man's took longer and he's been resurrected and maybe we'll get another shot that's like the one from Craven's Last Hunt where he punches through the grave. But I don't think it is the real Spider-Man. I just think he's too out there. And he, 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 I don't know, I think they would have explained it when he showed up to confront Miles for some reason. I think they're coming up with something that's going to be extraordinary or completely predictable. Well, that's where he's, he's playing an interesting game because he's, he's having the characters within the script just kind of voice all those theories like, oh, it's a, they've actually said, you know, is he a clone? Is he from another dimension? Maybe Oz has some regenerative quality. So he's r- rattling through every possible theory that fans are speculating on and, and kind of having fun with that. So I'm really curious to see where it's going to go. And then just out of fondness for the character and wanting to see him stand up and out on his own. I kind of don't want it to be Peter because I think that in its own kind of strange way would be a disservice to Miles, who every time his narrative, you know, seems to get some momentum, you know, he gets sidetracked, he gets pulled into whatever event is going on in the rest of the titles or something else happens to kind of sidetrack him a little bit. And so starting off this new arc by bringing back all the classic elements, that's pretty bold. So I'm just, I don't know if anxious is the word, but I'm just really kind of waiting to see, like, how is this going to pay off in a way that is good to the character. It is Miles' book, right? So you can't get rid of him right. in issue five. Yeah, exactly. So. It's been interesting to see this this run of, it's only been four issues, but it has moved so quickly. And this book, up until now, I mean, I think its great strength was kind of taking its time and letting things unfold at a certain pace and you would get deeper into the storytelling and get to know the characters better. And so this is a big shift to suddenly just kind of really, you know, step on the accelerator and just kind of hurdle forward and just throw all these plot elements at you and just everything coming together. And why did the Goblin and Miles go back to Peter's house? I think the the Goblin heard of the new Spider-Man and was like, if this is a real Spider-Man, he'll confront me here. I think that's the entire rationale for it. I think it's an incredibly simple explanation. I could be wrong. He could have known that Peter's alive and gone there to confront him, but I, I'm pretty sure it's just to confront the new spider. Well, he, did, he didn't know Peter was alive because he was surprised. He, his line, you know, he was like, what trickery is this? That's true, yes. Yeah. So there was, there was that, so I don't know, but then, but I also laughed because Bendis did it again, and I, he has news reporters say, no one is sure why they're actually here. So. Yeah. <laughs> so He's having a good time with it. I can't wait to see his endgame, and I am enjoying the ride in the meantime. But I'm not sure I can wait a whole month for the next. <laughs> that was that was my exact feeling, you know. And I think having an issue that just it gave me like the the fight sequence was incredible. The choreography of the you know the battle was phenomenal, and the just the I, I almost said cinematography, but the, just the way the you know way everything was framed and set up, it was exciting and intense and just the character reactions you know there's a lot of heart and emotion and adrenaline i think yeah. in this issue this was re- this really delivered i mean it was a big promise they set up in the three previous issues and this was kind of the make or break moment and for me 
totally nailed it. Um, absolutely agree. This is, this is one of my favorite issues of this comic and a lot of the recent comics in general, like just Marvel comics. This is one of my favorite in probably a year. Kyle, what do you think? Um, yeah, I'm on the same, same boat, really. Especially mainly that it's one of the better issues of better spider issues this year. Mm-hmm. As a whole. Um, it's probably the best one of the series. And it's shaping up for the future shapes up enough where you get that kind of confidence that this will this isn't just the flute, this is what the series is gonna be building up to. And yeah. I want more. What bugs me is part of the way I I read is um that because it's a two page spread for whatever reason it always feels Use Marquez uses them a lot, and they're always great. It also the fit the tone of the story and where it's at at that point. But then because it's a two page spread, it always feels like the issue's shorter. Or I might be just really excited going into the book itself that I'm reading it right. too quick, and then it's like, oh yeah. damn, a month, great. That's it. Yeah, and that, and that was that was the other thing that got me too with this book. I mean, you had the big payoff, you had the battle. And it was awesome. You had Spider-Man come back. And somehow at the end of it, it felt like, and this is, I thought this was a great accomplishment on Bendis' part. Somehow it felt like the stakes were even higher because now if this is Spider-Man, if this is Peter Parker, what, like, what does that mean for his family? What does that mean? Because at this point, the public knows who he is. That was all revealed after he died. Yeah. So how is that going to work? And then what does it mean for Miles? And then, you know, the, the cliffhanger or the, the other plot thread. And what about Katie? And then his dad is somewhere out there, too. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I, I really want to know what's happening to Miles' dad. Because they're, they're going to have to do a backtrack, right? Because he, he disappears and then he's going to show up in the future. And we're going to have to know what was happening because he can't just show up at an important time and that be the whole story. He, we have to know where he's been because otherwise people might start resenting him for having just disappeared. I think mm-hmm. people, he, well, any resentment, regardless of where he's been, unless he's been kidnapped, I think it automatically, get, he's going to get resentment regardless because... Yeah, defi- there's definitely going to be some, but I th- he left his soul. I think they should try and resent. They should try and fix that if they can. I'm I'm hoping there's a payoff because if you think back, I mean, there is some backstory with between Jefferson and Aaron. Yeah, and you don't know about it. And to me, it's like I I would hope that factors into it somehow. For a while, I wondered if he was somehow involved with these spider twin criminals. I mean, it's still possible. It's still possible because, again, at that recap page, they mentioned Miles hasn't seen his dad. Yeah. Thinking about that really makes you uh, really makes you wonder. Like These are storylines that are reserved when you get deep into a series. We're still on issue number four right now. And, uh, and we've already got, uh, we've got a fight against the Green Goblin, the original Peter Parker coming back, um, a reveal to his girlfriend that, uh, that he's Spider-Man, like, Things are moving at a quick pace, and you're re- and you're really loving the story, and then suddenly you go, "Hey, what about Miles's dad?" Like, they have so much uh, story to reveal down the road, and it's it's amazing to see that. Like, if you if you look at it as an optimistic point of view, just to say, like, "Oh wow, this is a really big story into issue number four, 
And uh, I don't know how long the series is uh, scheduled to go for right now, how many issues it's at. Uh, but when you think about it, it's like, think of all the issues down the road that if they're hitting you with a Green Goblin and Peter Parker's backstory line off the first four issues, what are they going to build up to after uh, uh, after Spider-Verse comes out? Like, what's what's going to happen in, the, in those storylines that could compete with what's happening right now? It really does give me the impression that they are... They're doing the original Spider-Man stuff. Like, they are getting the Goblin out of the way. They got Venom out of the way. And now it looks like... I hope Miles will be moving on to his own... His own rogues gallery. Instead of just all of Spider-Man's old stuff. Because we, we saw an element of that in the last series. With, uh, with the Scorpion being a new version of the Scorpion. And being its own character that is part of Miles' rogue gallery now. And... I hope we will see that more in the future with them just getting the Spider-Man stuff out of the way. Ah, uh, but it's it's so much fun in the meantime, though. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so if you had to, like, out of 1 to 10, 1 being, oh, my God, this is horrific, and 10, like, an all-time Stone Cold classic, like, this is one of the great issues, Where what would you what would you rank it? 10? I, like, I couldn't find anything in this issue that I disliked. Uh, the art style's great. The writing is phenomenal. The story itself is is just absolutely great. Um, there's like I give it a ten because like it's one of those issues that I know I'm gonna want to go back to and read. Like like months down the road, if there's like an arc that I'm gonna remember that I want to read, it's gonna be this one. And um, just the fact that I could flip through it, like I was finished the book um, before I even realized I was finished. And I was like blazing through the thing. Um, and it was it was so impossible to put down. Like I was hearing my phone going off with texts as people could have been calling me from downstairs, and I was drowning it all out for this book. Like that's a, that's usually that's usually an indicator for me, like how I know um, a book's good when like I just can tune everything out and focus on it. And that's what this book did for me. Uh, for me, this is one of this will be one of the classic ultimate comic issues. It's this one, it's that issue where all the superheroes are doing their stuff in Ultimatum, and the issue where we first see Venom as an actual symbiote. Those are the three 10 out of 10 comics out of the Ultimate series, and I, I this is definitely going to be one that in the future, 10 years from now or whatever, I will definitely come back and read for the sake of this issue. It's, pro- it's definitely my favourite issue in the past year out of most of the comics I read, which is a lot. And I, I love it so much. It's great. So that's, a, that's another 10 from you? Absolute 10, yeah. Without, without a doubt. Nice. Kyle? You know, in comparison, mine doesn't seem as positive. But... Okay. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> See, no. Well, when you stack it up two 10s, I think... I give it an eight five. Not saying that there's anything overtly like terrible. I think even saying an eight five is still saying it's one of the great the great issues. Yeah, it's that's that's still a that's still a great right. That's like, like yeah, that's oh, what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Oh no, you didn't rate it so high. I gave it an eight five. <laughs> I'm still telling you, you. I only rate it so high. Yeah, I only rate it so high because I'm really bad at rating things. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> my my scale is is either terrible or great. So yeah, so it was, it was either going to be a one or a ten. Yeah, exactly. 
I, I'm not professional in any way. Yeah, Kyle's bringing <laughs> decimals into it, and then me and Taz are just like, 10, that's it. 10, 10, 10. <laughs> best thing ever. This one goes to 11, it's 11. Yeah. <laughs> I actually gave this a 9.5, and I thought in terms of like a single issue Spider-Man reading experience, I really don't know what more I could ask for. I think this had so much to deliver, and it did. I mean, it gave you, or it gave me, I should say, as reading it, it this incredible action sequence it thrilled me when spider-man or peter parker maybe returned a moment i didn't even know i would be excited to see i was genuinely caught up in the action when they had these pages with the characters responding and i was right there with them like i was making the same face that jameson was making like why he's back between all of that i think i would not i the only thing that knocked it back for me was just the goblin leaving yeah that, that 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 did irritate me a bit, but it ended because it had to end for the sake of the plot. Mm-hmm. I understood it from the plot mechanics perspective, but then seeing it all the same it was like it just seemed very abrupt. The payoff was great in terms of how Miles contributed to taking him down. It was almost this strange kind of cartoony Looney Tunes moment where the goblin is yelling like "I'm gonna get," and then he makes that funny face as he yeah. the venom sting <laughs> hits him. That was, yeah. uh, I actually laughed at that. It seemed very strange but having him kind of quit the fight like that knocked it back and I, I almost hate to mention it there was a very cringeworthy piece of dialogue between katie and her sister where her sister is trying to get her to laugh and makes this painful joke that just yeah. i can't imagine young women actually talking like that and so that kind of threw me out of it as well so those are very minor minor things which is why it would only knock it back from being like flat out perfect for me but Otherwise, yeah, I, like you guys, like you finished the issue. It was like, I, I want more and I have to wait a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the meantime, I get all new ultimates. Oh, no. <laughs> I think the only thing that I have hopes for for all new ultimates is that somehow regardless of what this peter parker is he he gets moved to that book and attempts to save it if the writers don't kill him too <laughs> but um uh we can uh, we can hope we can hope and and, and we're off <laughs> <laughs> well so yeah this 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 uh this issue was great guys <laughs> kyle did kyle set us up <laughs> oh well here we go if if you dare yo i dare um yeah <laughs> it's it's funnier now that we've gone from praising ultimate spider-man so highly giving it 10s giving it eight fives and then we move on to the other ultimate spider-man well ultimate book <laughs> ultimate something yes ultimate <laughs> something where things are not as rosy the series has had problems from the beginning but Instead of going down the negative, I thought, you know, let let me start with something positive. Let me think of something that I actually like. The issue itself is benefited by the fact that, with the exception of Cloak and Dagger, everybody in this issue has their costume on. So, at no point am I asking, who the hell is this? Like I've been asking (laughs) with every other issue not being able to distinguish between Kitty, Jessica Drew, 
and um, see other one bombshell, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. people, if you're looking for a reason, looking for the explanation why uh, Jessica Drew is no longer Spider Woman and has gone by Black Widow, guess what? Still hasn't been explained. Probably never going to be. Oh, absolutely <laughs> nothing. Keep yeah. enjoying that one. Yeah. <laughs> I hate her costume, by the way. It's the the first time I focused on it in this issue, and I was looking at it. I was like. That's probably the worst spider costume I've I've seen. It's just it's terrible. I like the old one, the red the red venom, red quote unquote venom logo one. But then she's traded yep. it in for yeah. this one, the black one, which isn't too bad. The jacket was weird, and which yeah. I think she doesn't want to wear anymore. And now she's got a domino mask or whatever. I don't think any spider costume should have a domino mask. Just oh, general no, principle. Never. She's got the new haircut, so you can kind of tell the difference between her and Kitty. But not very much. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Not enough so that it's distinguishable right away. Like, I can't tell you how many times, just in the last issue in uh, Ultimates 4, I was like, okay, who's talking to who and what is happening right now? Like, beyond the story, I don't even know who's talking to each other. Like, the art style is indistinguishable from each other. And, like... It's it was uh it was Kitty and um and Jessica Drew which was bad enough and then bombshells <laughs> in the mix like they're all brunette teenagers around the same height and I cannot I can't tell anything. It's true they have very few distinguishing distinguishing features aside from their costumes like there's nothing different at all. Yeah, they look exactly the same. So maybe you can help me because this issue came out relatively recently and i read it and i can't tell you a single thing that happened in it (laughs) i can tell you exactly what happened to it because i read it before we started recording okay and i i was i read it so quickly that i was angry at myself for having actually finished it i wanted (laughs) (laughs) and we started recording and i was just i i was fuming and i was like this is this was terrible this is, this ruined my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we should we should talk about that. Like, so what? Where is this book? Clearly, I think we're on the same page. I think it's fair to say we we're not connecting with this. We hate it. Issue. No. Okay, <laughs> we'll be around the bush. Pretty much cutting through the chase. Yeah, you know, if you, have, you know, if yeah. you have something to no, say, we just, hate it. It's terrible. Why is this book not working? I'm absolutely certain that it's everything combined. <laughs> it's it's subpar writing not terrible writing just subpar bad art and a weird connection of events and archetypical bad guys and the characters that we we like we know and we love who have been in every other comic are just not being good in this comic there's not any redeemable qualities that i can actually think of especially in this issue i'd compare it to there was a series it was in a, a camera. It took place in a different universe, but it was a four-issue, one sh- like sort of one-shot thing, and it took place in a universe where the comics were from Mary Jane's eyes, and it was aimed more at like younger demographic, I'd guess. Is that Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane? That's the one, and um, I, I feel like that's the way. All like that's where Ultimates is failing. It's like reading off as sort of like a like a preteen just getting into comics book. And which is in stark contrast, because when you think of the Ultimate series, we're technically on volume six of the Ultimate series, and compared to every past volume with 
um, Alien Invasions, Shield, Captain America, and Iron Man, like for crying out loud. And then you move on to a group of like five superheroes who before were all likable characters, and suddenly I can't stand them. Like I can't, I don't understand how I can read Miles in his solo comic and fall in love with the character and cannot bear to read another page in a book that he's also starring in. It's like the storylines just, and the writing in general, like all of the script just isn't clicking for me. Like none of it feels natural or good really. I think that's key because as you said, like toward the end of that first run that Miles had, those characters when Cloak and Dagger and Spider, you know, she was Spider-Woman at the time and Bombshell came together to take on Roxxon, they were all depicted in a way where you could feel a connection with them and it felt like a team. And so when they were announced that it was announced they were getting their own team book, I was all over like, yes, this is going to be great. What a great dynamic. And then I was a little apprehensive about, oh, these characters were established with the Bendis voice and the Bendis method of storytelling. But can this new person continue that or take it in a new direction, which would be great, keep it fresh and interesting. They did take it in a new direction, but in the process seemed to eliminate any characterization that was built up. So Cloak and Dagger are a couple, and that's pretty much it. That's what you get. Spider-Man has a friend named Genki, but all of the kind of the nuances of that friendship out the window. It doesn't it doesn't feel like they they don't even feel like the same characters. Never mind how yeah. they look, it's how they're written. Yeah. And so when you have your core cast who are not likable, <laughs> that's that's going to be a major issue. You can't really build from that. And then Taz, you said archetypal villains. And that's exactly it. They're just like they're yeah. a bad drug gang. You take a villain like the Green Goblin. He's complex. He has layers and he's got a family. And then you ju- you're introduced to this guy wearing a skull mask who makes an introduction that is an archetypal introduction. He jumps off a balcony and then lands in the fight. And you're like, oh, wow, that's surprising. And it's just, it's, it's following archetype. And that doesn't work for most comics. There are a few that can get away with it, but this is not one of them. I think having one of those stereotypical cliche villains only works really if the playing it off for laughs in these yeah. ones so it's like it, superior foes some of those have some pretty cliche garbage but built around them why they do villainous things but it works because that book is being played for laughs this one yeah or, or whenever like the leaper shows up and you're like he's showing up cuz he's a he's a he's not a, a villain villain he's a he's a bad guy villain you know somebody could be dispatched yeah. in a few pages but they're treat they're treating those types of villains like actual villains which they are not they're the ones that get wailed on before the big ones show up yeah and it's like you said um in comparison like with the green goblin having layers that's not just um that's not even just limited to the green goblin but with a lot of the villains yeah. we've seen in the ultimate universe or uh, and specifically to Spider-Man, they have such uh, such deep emotional like development. To, so you find out why why are they even doing this in the first place? Uh, you have the Venom symbiote by itself, which is really pissed off that it was mm. rejected by Spider-Man. Um, and what, even after Peter's dead, it goes after Miles. The Green Goblin um, has his hatred for Peter because Peter's his essentially like his scientific son, I guess, and um, and he's rejecting him. He wants nothing to do with them. 
all like all of the villains yeah, and uh especially one of my favorite issues from the parker run was the issue with shocker kidnapping peter and you like really learned so much about the shocker that's something that's really lacking from the ultimate series like none of these uh none of these villains have any development none of these villains have something where you go like wow this is guy's a force to be reckoned with it's like you said it's archetypal villains it's just like oh he sells drugs he's a bad man that's it. Like, there's nothing else to them. Then you have, it gets odd because you have a serial killer concept lifted from the 80s, Scourge, who takes out bad guys, and then he just disappeared. We, we see it. We, we see the detectives in his house right. for like a page, and then it's gone. They, they don't tell you anything about that situation. They just show you that he's alive still, which it might be, that might be leading to something. That might be a really big element in the next issue but they don't do anything with it it's a good example of like how to handle cliffhangers like if you look at like what we have with uh with miles's book the cliffhangers are are they they don't tell you everything but they leave you wanting more and you're not mad that there is nothing given like we had this awesome fight with the green goblin with peter coming back and we still want more like they didn't give us everything but then here we have in this book, like you're saying, it's that one shot with the detectives yeah. in his apartment, and then that's it. Like that doesn't that doesn't leave us with enough information to be curious about what's happening in the future. Like just a, a one a one little bit of information, like that doesn't that doesn't um, help us look forward to the next book and be like, ooh, I wonder what's happening with Scourge in comparison to the Miles book, where you're like, ah, I want to find out like what's the deal with this Peter Parker. Like they give, they're not giving enough information to keep a reader interested about what's going to f- happen and um, and like eager to find out what it is. I think that ends up in, in this weird way. I noticed it particularly kind of going back and forth with these issues in terms of the fight sequences. The fight in Miles Morales four completely intense, and you're emotionally invested. You're invested in it because you you know the characters and you care about them. And in this latest Ultimates issue, there's a fight sequence that maybe, I mean, I don't know, just on, you know, multiple levels artistically and then also the writing behind it. For me, it just fell incredibly flat. There was nothing exciting about it. It was just punch in the face. That's the tone of this book. It's just there's a lot of violence for the sake of it. It doesn't really have any dramatic weight to it. Even in the first issue where Genki gets punched in the face and is bleeding. Why yeah. was that necessary? Why would, you know... There's no reason for most of the book. Like, at the beginning of this issue, we see them... They're back on patrol, and we know it's in the same day. So they're not on the beach anymore. Yeah. It's within the same day. It's still daylight, which means they left the beach and then went on patrol and started doing their jobs. But why were they at the beach in the first place? Why was any of it happening? It's just so much unnecessary... And I think at this point, like <laughs> we were, we were dancing around the subject of it not being fantastic last time. I think <laughs> at this point, after this issue, I want to stop. I'll read the next three. I I just I don't want to though. Yeah, <laughs> there's, it's like there's nothing compelling you to want to move on. Like in like like in comparison with the Miles series, where where like for us, like it's it's a it's opposite ends of the spectrum. Where with the Miles series, we're like I can't wait a month. With Ultimates, we'll be like, uh, you guys can postpone it if you'd like. I mean, like, I'll get around to it when yeah. I have time. <laughs> well, we can read something else Oh, instead. yeah, for sure. Can we talk about the artwork? Awful. It's- <laughs> <laughs> Since you pointed it out last episode, I read this issue, 
and it made me angry how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was looking at it. I was like, "This is not good. This, this is this is terrible. It's it's annoying me now." And it didn't annoy me before, so I'm blaming you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. No, it's it's so it's so strange. I think the the faces the facial expressions sometimes look come off looking like caricatures, which is yeah. just this, which is an odd effect, and they just kind of will be a little warped or just kind of off. And then the coloring, I mean, just this very neon pinks and blues and things, it has a very strange, almost oppressive quality. So the art sometimes feels like I'm getting punched in the face trying to read this. <laughs> and so, and it's like, so between the writing and the art it's like, the book does not want me to like it. You know, even though I really want to, I really want to like this. Um, I would just to say something positive. I will say the cover artist, uh, David, I believe his name is, uh, Nakayama. These covers are beautiful. They've just been amazing. Yeah. The co- the covers are a redeeming quality. Like just, I want them as a desktop background, and I want to do it without reading. They're beautiful. They're stunning. All of them. I mean, I mean, even this one—the the kind of skull face forming the crossbones mask—and and when you look close, how the characters are arranged, it's yeah. it's phenomenal. And it's it's crazy how in itself, like even though that's a good thing, it's still a negative because it's like with the co- the whole point of the cover is to draw you into the book. We saw the Miles Morales four cover that drew me into the book. Like I saw that and I was like, I have to read this like now. I can't postpone this. Uh, but with with the Ultimates covers, they draw you in in the same way and they're so good. But then it leaves you lacking. Like you like you get this awesome cover that makes you think like, man, this is going to be an awesome story. And then you're flipping through the book and you're wondering, you're not wondering, oh man, like uh, I'm almost done. You're wondering when is this going to end. Yikes! it's like leading you on to believe that there's going to be such a great um story based on the cover and then the the writing the art style the coloring none of it holds up to uh to how good the covers really are yeah with regards to the art one thing it improves on the way that the fights flow it still has its problems but in past issues when i've been reading it it's been like okay wait so where, where did this happen and then i'm going to have to take a minute to then go and look back and catch up to see where this how this character ended up in this place oh he yeah did pick up a weapon here wait so why didn't, wasn't it clear <laughs> right. that he picked something up and things like that yeah. because again in previous issues it has dealt with the transitioning it struggled with that part of it where Again, this is taken back from previous issue. Um, I think it's issue three after Jessica's been to the doctor. The doctor says to her she needs to stay for a day. And then two panels below, she's just out. And it's never <laughs> mentioned that there's a transition in time. There's no visual yeah. cue to that. It's been it's been another day. But, yeah. but when things like that happen, it kind of leads me to believe it's been heavily edited to a degree, if you get what I mean. Because it doesn't make sense for things like that to happen or to have been yeah. been allowed to happen. Any storyboarder or writer isn't going to make that big a mistake. That's an editing problem. Yeah. 100%. But mm-hmm. I think as well, just this whole tone, what it wants to be, and I made, I've made this comparison... Teen Titans may have been maybe the go-to series that people think for teen heroes, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. But as far as in the past five years, let's say, 
the one that's done it best is Marvel's Young Avengers series, and it dealt with it was dealt dealing with sexuality a lot better than this one has tried to. Like in the last mm-hmm. issue, we've got Jessica Drew instead of just saying that yeah, hey Kitty, I like I have these feelings for you instead of saying that. Oh, I have this thing for redheads, and I have this thing for Jewish girls. Oh, that was so cringeworthy. Oh, my God. It was so awkwardly put together with the scripting. Like, just none of it felt right. You know, like, if you were to envision yourself in that conversation, nothing they said is something you'd envision yourself saying. Like, just the whole, what feels right? Um, girls. Like, that. It, like, it, yeah. like, it felt stale, the conversation. Like, none of it... None of it. Like if somebody, if I was in a conversation with like that, and I asked somebody what feels right, and they said um girls, I I would not have replied. Be like oh okay, like no, like there's no expansion on that. There's nothing. Just like a lot of it's just flat dialogue. Even Kitty's point of view, the female clone of the love of her life, who is dead, who she has mourned and moved on from, suddenly confronted with uh, yeah, and I I'm I'm into you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just like shrug. All right, yeah, sure, cool. It's like what? <laughs> like whatever. We'll just do something unexplainable next. Yeah, now issue. let's see. Like that's <laughs> enough of the beach. Let's go on patrol. Yeah. yeah because no, it's because um, they need to have uh, Jessica tell everybody that she's a clone of Peter Parker now because apparently this is the thing that's been happening over the past yeah few months because it happened. <laughs> she told she tells Miles, then she tells Captain America. Because she thought that she knew, and now she's telling Kitty. And then I'm, I assume that there's somebody else that she needs to be told, but they haven't got around to introducing <laughs> that. Oh, Ganky yeah. knows as well. Miles told Ganky. Yep. And she kept the secret for over over two years. Yeah. And then suddenly everyone needs to know. Again, back to the sexuality thing. There's that point in the book where Cloak and in the last issue it mentioned that Cloak and Dagger haven't haven't had sex in a since they had the powers, and then they do, mm-hmm. and it's like well. So what, why was this here? Yeah. It just seems like one of those pointless scenes that you wonder, wait, yeah. so why is this even included? Do we need to know this? Is, I know you're trying to talk about... I know the, I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. Young Avengers-like. Because DC is still mm-hmm. trying to do that. That Teen Titans book that they've got, I didn't think... The first issue now, I didn't think it was very good, but it was very clearly trying to be Young Avengers. The book's trying to be Young Avengers... It's fine with me. Young Avengers is a great series, but it's not. It's the fact that few teams are able to replicate it as well as they were. Yeah, and even less are able to represent it generally. The whole teen thing is awkward and based on experience. So whoever's writing it is based on their personal experience, and that could be very different from someone else's version of awkward. The people that do associate, like the Young Avengers, did a very good job of the broad spectrum of awkward teenagers. And this series is not doing that at all. It's just going for cheesy, archetypical teenage problems. Yeah, exactly. Like the, like the, it's like all cookie cutter, and like sometimes it's it's uh, it's hard to remember that like we're reading two books that Miles stars in, but it's almost it's it seems almost impossible. That it's the same Miles. Like you read about the Miles in Miles Four, and he's still the same aged, same person Miles as he is in Ultimates. He looks. He seems like some cheesy, stale character in Ultimates, and then in 
his actual solo book, he seems great. And that's not a fault of, that's obviously not a character fault. That's not a fault of having like a lack of character development or, or anything like that. It's just simply a fact that there's different writers and one of them's doing a lot better jobs of, of portraying Miles versus the other one that's making him seem stale. And I think that's just an issue with the whole series. Like, um, we can say bad and all of that, but I think if there's one thing to describe the writing, the art style, uh, the dialogue, and the just the characters themselves, it's just stale. Like none of it, it none of it's, it's like and like you said, Brian. Like you want to like it, but it's stale, and you don't want. You're not sure of what's going on. It's confusing because the plot doesn't flow nice. Um, none of the characters seem to. Um, really connect with each other emotionally like they do in other books and um it's it just comes off as this really uh boring and then hard to read book just because it's just so much of it's like it's sometimes there's so much going on and sometimes there's so little going on miles is just unrecognizable in this book and he's been spider-man actually for most of it i think i can't actually bring myself to go back and look through the issues but he's been in the costume (laughs) but could be i mean the dialogue doesn't ring true it could be anybody in there but i'm sad to say just at this point especially in uh, contrast to the other issue we were just talking about this feels like required reading and that's life is too short for that all right so uh what do you think if you had to give this a score between uh one to ten ten being this is amazing and one is like i'd rather pour bleach into my eyes i don't know solid 10 out of 10 for me Excellent. <laughs> well, we know that we know that Taz only has uh, one spectrum. So yeah, t- yeah, Taz has a binary approach to scoring. So um, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna deviate from that a bit, and I'm not gonna give it a number score. I'm just gonna say I hated it because <laughs> if I give it a number score, that's gonna be definitive. And I hated it is anywhere between one and three, by the way. So I hate okay. it. <laughs> I, I, I never want to read this issue again. <laughs> I will continue to read into the future just in case something good happens, but I don't think it will. And I hated this issue. Fair enough. So that's a that's a one through three. Take your pick. Yeah, I I don't want to say one because I've read like like I want to say I've read worse, but I'm like scaling my mind and I'm not sure I have. But um. Like, what I think, like, I just think there's room for improvement. Like, when I say stale, like, the only way I'm saying that is, like, I'm sure this book has so much potential to be great. It's just there are things being done wrong that are hindering it from being great. And, I, like, I think I'd give it, like, anywhere. I'm going to go 3.5 to be safe. That, um, just to say that, like, there's so much that can be improved on. But it, it's, it's like that 3.5 is all based on its potential just because it has potential to be a good book, but as of right now, it's not. And like to phrase it like Taz, I hated it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Kyle, can you, can you handle it? It is not the worst one of the series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is, that is damning with faint praise. You got to do what you got to do. It's not <laughs> the worst of the series. I can say that, but fair. It's arguably the strong second strongest one and so for the simple fact that i gave issue one a six five i'm gonna have to give this a five and that's kind of being generous considering everything that said about it but yeah i'm gonna stick with a five i'm not as cold as you two 
Me and Taz are just straight hey, to the look, point. If, if you don't enjoy it, you cut it out of your life. It's like a tumor, all right? Yeah. <laughs> no, none of this generosity. Me and, me and Taz are selfish people, and we're going to give it 3.5 and yeah. be happy with it. If you ever try and make any type of film, it's either good or bad, right? You're making it so that it's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. And I, I, if I make something bad, it's going to be bad on purpose. So that's how I judge everything. It's good or bad. And I hated it. And then Brian, for you? Uh, I think I am actually going to give this a two. And that is only because I loved the cover. And <laughs> The cover is earning those two points. Uh, the, co- the, the covers for this series are now the only redeeming quality. Before, I was like... It could be a six, maybe, if I'm being very generous for the rest of the series. But this one has brought it down to the depths of, of everything. I agree with you, Noor. I think the series overall, I think there is a lot of potential there. I mean, you've got a lot of great characters and elements to work with. I just want them to get through this boring arc you know, whatever it is, just kind of get it over with. And then that's why I like, I'm willing to stick around. I know they have a new artist coming up, so maybe that will give it the uh, boost or refresh that it needs. Fingers crossed. Fingers very, you know, definitely crossed. But as of this point, no, I mean, there's nothing, like I said, or like I didn't remember anything about this and that's not good. That's, you know, that's a complete waste of, uh, of time and money. So yeah. But that cover really is amazing. <laughs> yeah, the cover's doing all the heavy lifting throughout this whole series right now. It's the only thing that's really carrying this book and keeping it afloat. Yeah. And then uh, part of that score is also because they were not on the beach. So they were actually trying to do something. <laughs> and I think that will lead with every score from now on. <laughs> I, I don't think I put enough. Every score from now on is going to get minimum one. Minimum one score because they weren't on a yeah. beach. That, like, that's going to be the thing from now on. 0.1. I mean, if it's not that they could restructure the writing and get someone else to write the dialogue and new art. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> so basically if they could just pretend this never happened and start yeah. all over, if, if we can never uh, cancel the book and then, and then redo yeah, it. Exactly. Entirely. And we don't have to have these five issues and then maybe, maybe it'll be good. And really, I, I think Miles is carrying the book because I would not read this otherwise. And even then, he, and even then, he's not delivering it. He's not delivering for me. So what? I just keep asking myself, what is the point of this? Okay, all the ultimates. Good luck to you then. I, I had a great amount of time this year. I was waiting for all the amazing Spider-Man 2 to come out, and I, I was watching all the promotional material, and I, I made a couple faux trailers for it, adding different music to them and stuff, and the one thing I noticed is that it seems to be very ultimate Spider-Man to me, and that includes the first movie. It, it uses essentially the ultimate origin uh, with the... They, they used a lot of the... Oscorp is a big secret empire thing earlier on instead of it being revealed by uh, Eddie Brock later on. But they essentially go for the ultimate origin and it worked really well. For, it's worked really well for both series. They they use the secret spider bite in the original one as well without the connection to Oscorp. But I, I, 
I loved the first Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, because it was something new, and I love Spider-Man anyway. And I was watching it, and the the lizard attacks the high school. That's a very important part of that movie, and it's almost exactly the goblin attacking the high school. And then the uh, the whole Oscorp conspiracy stuff. That's all ultimate. That is brought up occasionally as Oscorp's a bit shady, mostly because of Norman Osborn in the original comics. But in the Ultimate comics, they're evil. They're the bad guys. And that is reflected in this movie, more so even. And then in number two, it's essentially the ultimate villains. They're being created to fight Spider-Man. And I just... I I like that they're doing it, and I like that there is this healthy mix between the comics and the movie. That's, That's one of the things about comic book movies that makes them work is when they know that they are influenced by a comic and that creates a good movie but I don't know how I feel about knowing what's going to happen like we know I'm pretty certain that Venom is going to show up as Eddie Brock's long lost friend who (laughs) oh no sorry Peter Parker's long, long lost friend Eddie Brock, right? He's going to show up and he's going to be like, "Hey, Peter, do you remember our dads working together on that secret project, that secret Venom project? Well, I own a piece of that, and we should start working on it." Then you get the whole symbiote fiasco, and I, I don't like that they're going to do that because they, I know they're going to do that because that's the way that this series is going. It's all about genetic alteration. I was just wondering what you guys thought about the current progress of the series. I thought it was interesting. Um, if you got a chance to see, there's some Blu-ray. I think they're on the going to be on the Blu-ray, but the scenes that they have they've taken out of the movie and they actually had Peter's dad survive. Oh God! Yeah, the, the plane crash at the beginning. Did you see this, Kyle? Yes. I don't know why this. Yes. Well, I mean, it was. I think very wisely removed from the movie, but, um, <laughs> I mean, it was just, there was already a lot of stuff happening in it, but that dynamic, I think, you know, seemed to echo, um, you know, what had happened in, in, uh, the ultimate series, although granted ultimate, it was a completely different, uh, rationale behind his dad returning. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting way to go. I don't know. I don't know if I agree that the genetic, like the venom, you know, issue. I mean, I know Avi Arad is a fan and would like to see that. You know, that's what he did to Spider Man Three. So, if he, <laughs> you know, or maybe lessons been learned. Um, but it seems. I mean, from what I've read, it seems like the focus is definitely building up the the Sinister Six and the foreshadowing with their equipment in the Oscorp vaults. Um, and that's that's yeah. their next movie they're apparently working on, right? Which is coming out in 2016 before the Amazing Spider-Man 3, which is 2018. So we're getting all of the villain introductions in their own movie. Yeah, and also, well, it's not going to be all of them. Chances are at least two or two of them will have been ones from the film it'll be it'll, seen. It'll probably be, and I'm just guessing, it'll probably be Doc Ock and the Vulture. Best next guess, you know. Because those two are are pretty easily done. Although it would be diff- difficult to contend with the Doc Ock we've already had in the Spider-Man movies. 
because he was great. So wait, you're not going to have the uh, Australian reality television star coming to uh, New York City to to hunt Spider-Man? I don't know that I'm brave enough to want him in the movies. (laughs) Although it would work, you know, if they could... It's the genetic alteration thing. It's like he shows up, he's like, I can hunt the spider. He hunts the spider, he fails. Genetic alteration. I can now hunt the spider. And then he gets exposed at the end. They do... Like He's like... They use drugs to chase me. They'll probably use the ultimate one. I'm I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying I'm annoyed that there are going to be some things that are very predictable. I saw Harry becoming the Green Goblin before they ever showed that damn picture of the poster. I don't know. I, I think the direction those movies are going, I, I'm not sure if I'm on board with you know the... Peter's parents having this whole mysterious past. I mean, I know in the comics they were, they were shield agents, you know, at at least in the six sixteen. I was always drawn to the fact that he was just this ordinary kid, you know, kind of thrust into, into greatness and having to, to make that work, making him the sort of everyman superhero compared to the other, I guess, gods, you could say that, uh, you know, (laughs) that he, uh, he finds himself, uh, working with or, or fighting against. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if, uh, if I'm on board with the, the whole Parker kind of conspiracy thing that, that part I'm, that part of the series I'm, doesn't grab me as much. I have to say, I'm not a fan of that at all. I think that at first it was a reason to have the spiders work on Peter, like to have the dad working on the spiders. That makes sense. He, and then in the second one, they reveal that it's only going to work on Peter, and that's why he can't help Harry, you know? And it's just... It's building up so that he becomes a central character of everything that's happening. And that's not what Spider-Man is. He's an everyday superhero who protects people because he has to. And they're making it so that he's the reason for everything. But that's not Spider-Man. He's the reason for some of them, He's the reason for, uh, you know, Norman going crazy. He's the reason for Venom going crazy. But he's not the reason for the Vulture wanting money or for Craven wanting his hunt. And that's where they're going with this series. They're really focusing too much on that. And that's why I'm not excited for the Sinister Six. No, um... The one thing uh, that we that's uh, uncertain, though, like in terms of the Sinister Six, though, is um, we're not we're not sure if this is going to be the same Sinister Six lineup that we see in the uh, in the comics. Yeah. Uh, the only confirmations we have are Electro, if he somehow lives, which is possible. Uh, Rhino, who we saw at the end of the movie, yeah, and then the possibilities are Vulture and Doctor Octopus, from what we saw, like while Harry was in Oscorp. And that leaves those final two spots open. But the one thing that I've picked up from it was uh, we've never seen Green Goblin as a member of the Sinister Six. Um, in the at least not in the main continuity, he's had the, he's had the Sinister Twelve, but the Sinister Six he's never been a part of. And, uh, the only Sinister Six he's been a part of technically has been the Ultimate Universe during the death of Peter Parker. But besides that, it's not been him. So I wouldn't be surprised if the creators tried to go with. A few others. I know, like, if um, I'll be completely happy with the lineup as long as long as they have Mysterio um, in the Sinister Six. That's one character I'd love to see on the big screen. 
I agree. I'd like to see Mysterio done well on screen. He could be a very awesome villain to have. I think Mysterio is pretty much a, a semi-lock for that, and they'll probably yeah. go through Ultimate Mysterio, which I think works better than Fishbowl Head. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and what's the, and the, there's a also possibly bringing back the lizard. I think that's a, there's a possibility of that happening. The whole oh yeah, but he's. I don't like the um the amazing films lizard. I think that he was too intelligent at first as the lizard. Yeah, like in the in the original, his his intelligence evolves as he becomes the lizard. The the two minds meld a bit. But he also degenerates in the same way, where he becomes more lizard-like, more angry, more vicious, and less planning. And they just straight up went for, it's Dr. Connors, who's gone a little bit crazy, and he now looks like a lizard. So if they could wreck on that, I suppose he could be a good addition to the Sinister Six, but otherwise they're going to have to go for the element of the others are controlling him. You know, with a, like a stupid chip or a collar or something. What's your take on bringing Miles Morales into that universe? Because Andrew Garfield, of all people, was all for it. He thought it was a good option for the future of the, the franchise. I think Miles could work, but I don't think it will work for people. Why is that? I think the problem with that is like, I don't think it'll, it'll work at all. Um, it, it's all based on your stance. It's like uh, us here, we all know Miles Morales. We all would love to see him on the big screen. Uh, that's something I feel like they could bring they could bring to life easily, but uh, it's for people who have had their like in, have it engraved in their mind that Peter Parker equals Spider Man. It's like a a common fact. Like Miles Morales, we forget that his he was only launched in uh, twenty eleven. That was a uh, that was when he was first brought to us. It's only been three years. He's still not as popular of a character. Like he's gaining traction. But at the same time, he's not as big of a character that you can base a movie around of. And that's why you see, um, even in the Marvel Universe, they're making movies about uh, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. But then the instant they made the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, a lot of people doubted it. They were like, oh, Guardians isn't that popular. Um, I'm not sure how, is it, like, how are, people were doubting that Guardians would do well. And I think that's going ha- to be the issue Miles would have. Miles would have the issue that... Um, that he's not popular. Not many people would go to see it because they're like, this isn't the Spider-Man I know. And a, per, a prime example of that is the Fantastic Four reboot that's coming out. Um, the choice to cast um, to cast Johnny uh, as black as opposed to white, uh, that was something that was met like hugely in critique because he was, and he was still essentially going to be the same character. It was like uh, the directors felt, okay, it's just a different uh, portrayal of the character. A skin tone shouldn't matter. It's the best actor for the role not how he looks, but people were up in arms about that. And that's, and I feel like the reaction would be exactly the same. If you had, um, a storyline where Peter Parker is not Spider-Man anymore and you cast somebody who isn't Peter Parker, like that's what it comes down to. It just, people aren't as willing to accept, um, what they've already, what they've known for so long. And that's why we see, uh, we talked about this previously that in comic books, deaths never stay because no one wants to, move on and move on to another character the death of wolverine isn't going to be isn't going to be solid uh, thor being a female not going to stay falcon being captain america not going to stay all of it's going to go back to the continuity because people just they can't deal with the fact that something is going to change and that's why miles wouldn't be successful 
can they or can't they? Because I mean, you, I mean, you look at the Thor movies. Like Idris Elba played um, in Thor. Uh, yeah, Heimdall? Heimdall. the uh, the Watcher on the Rainbow Bridge. Some people got upset, but I thought it was actually a vocal minority. Did it change the film? No, people still want to see it. He is one of the best parts of both of those movies, even though he's in it for a very short I'm, time. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan, so I'd, I'd watch him and just spend That says a lot about the movies themselves, especially that piece of crap <laughs> that they call Thor 2. <laughs> <laughs> the point I wanted to make with uh, Fantastic Four, yeah, I think people are, you know, quote, up in arms about the casting, but what, are they not going to see it? Of course they're going to go see it. I'm definitely going to see it, and I'm I'm not at all happy with the casting, any of it. Not just Johnny, but everything. Like, they used the girl from House of Cards for Sue Storm, and she she made a public statement recently where she's just like, I don't read comics, I've never liked comics, and this movie is not following any comics. And I'm still going to watch it, but that made me angry. I was like, oh, no. Did you guys see that fan film on YouTube, the Miles Morales yeah 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 that was really well made it was a very good depiction of the first like three issues i still think there's a lot of potential i think you you just need the studio willing to give it a shot i don't know if that means it's a direct to video animated film or you know whatever you got to do but i think there's i think the comic has proven and certainly the reception that this uh, latest issue is is getting and that word of mouth is only going to spread i think there is a viable market for this character i think there is an audience out there sure there will always be the audience (laughs) comics for being this wildly creative medium still manages to attract a a vocal fan base that likes everything a certain way and don't change anything yeah i I think animation would be the way to go at the moment maybe if the ultimate series does it then maybe the uh the animated film is more likely if they introduce uh, the ultimate Spider-Man Miles Morales TV show that might work because it's a kid show but then again it might not because it's a kid show if you get what I mean they aren't always flexible um, one last yeah. yeah one last thing about this um, Jane Smith for Miles Morales hashtag make it happen please 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 It'd be the best <laughs> I feel like he would really play Miles Morales' role really well as like just a young kid who's trying to like l- get into this role of Spider-Man and live up to the to his pre- uh, his predecessor. Like I feel like Jaden Smith that's a role he could absolutely nail for sure. He could nail, but at the moment he's going through a stage in his career which I like to call the pretentious teenager stage. <laughs> where he thinks he's a much better actor than he is because he's the son of Will Smith. <laughs> Maybe it's my age sewing. I, I, I would like to see, you know, I'm sure there's a, a sea of talented uh, actors that could take that role, but I would admit that a name like Jaden Smith would give that. It would give it legitimacy in terms of. It would of definitely, I mean, for all the concerns you had about people not willing to give it a chance, you put a name like that on it, people would be yeah. all over it. Maybe give it a few years until he can act. You know, a few more movies. Let's do some listener feedback. So our first official question for the series came from uh, Dan from Superior Spider Talk. And the question is, 
There have been so many editorial demanded plot changes in the Ultimate Spider-Man story over the years. Watching Ben dislodge from Ultimatum to, cla- to Cataclysm to the death of Spider-Man has been like watching Neo in the Matrix dodge bullets. Heck, Peter, Peter's death wasn't even his initial plan, yet he made it work by introducing Miles and telling one heck of a good final tale for Peter. However, along the way, some storylines have been forced to be dropped, never to return. I could list several stories that I would love to see Bendis come back to, even if it might not be possible. I'm curious to hear from you guys, what is a story that uh, that you felt had a lot of potential but was never really followed up on, be it because of forced editorial decisions or because it just wouldn't work anymore? I think right now for me, it's Jefferson, and I would love to know. It seemed to be like set up pretty pretty early on, his kind of dark and mysterious past that he was really trying to get away from his hatred of superheroes and resentment. They killed off the Prowler. I think that was a shame because that was such an intriguing concept to have your first kind of nemesis be your own uncle uh, trying to corrupt him. And then that wrapped up. And I would have liked to see have seen more of that. And that was in stark contrast to the original Spider-Man as well, which was one of the fascinating things about it as well. Oh, that was great. I mean, from yeah. from the get-go, this was not going to be a rehash. You know, it was not Peter Mark II. This was, this was uh, bold new territory. Yeah. And I think it would have been, like we were talking about Miles developing, uh, developing his own rogues gallery. It would have been interesting to see that, like, uh, how sp- uh, we instantly think of Peter's nemesis as Norman Osborn. And in a way, Norman Osborn's, like, like not blood-related, but um, but scientifically related in the fact that he was the reason Peter existed. And um, I think that's interesting that he's at the forefront of Peter's gallery. And in the same way, uh, if they had kept the Prowler alive, it would have been really interesting to see uh, Miles' story go through and his number one enemy on his chart being his his own uncle, his own family, the one guy that tried to that tried to corrupt him and turn him into something that he's not. Um and I think it would have been really interesting and really good for the story if they had left him alive and just let uh, let him develop as a character. And in the same way that Peter in the main continuity struggles with the Green Goblin there, uh, having a similar struggle between uh, Uncle Aaron and Miles um, in the Ultimate Universe. I think you another one I could think of that you just can't do anymore was Miles joining the Ultimates. And he was just kind of hurled into that divided we fall thing and it was like all right you're an ultimate now and captain america's president and here we go there was all that great build-up for peter wanting to be accepted and taken seriously by you know quote the grown-ups and uh and looked on uh looked at as an equal trying to earn the uh, approval of nick fury and all of that and for miles that there was a lot of potential there and it was just compressed and i thought that was a really great opportunity that just had to get thrown out the window yeah it's really different compared to the story that we know in the Ultimate Universe, too, where things happen slowly and over time. Like, during Peter's whole run, the ult- like most of the Ultimates considered him like not, not fit to be a superhero. Like, a lot of people were doubting him. Um, and he, the, only, like, the closest he came to even joining the Ultimates was, uh, was the Ultimates saying, hey, we'll train you. And then he died before even that could happen. But with Miles, like, right off the bat, like, a few... Uh, just getting into uh, superheroing, it's like, yeah, it's like it happened really fast. And that's how I feel like it kind of, it didn't work out because it was just like, boom, you're in the Ultimates. Boom, the country's fighting each other in a civil war. Boom, Captain America's president. And you have to just work from all of that happening in like a span of a couple of books. And it just, it didn't work out for keeping the story alive. I 
I think the the biggest mistake the Ultimate Universe has made has been with the symbiotes. I think that that's especially in terms of Spider Man, but that's one of the biggest angry points I have is Carnage was done terribly. He showed up for a while. He he and then he and then he became Gwen, which annoys me immensely because. The best relationship Spider-Man has, apart from Green Goblin, because that's always quite interesting, is between Venom, Carnage, and, and sometimes Toxin, but we don't have to talk about Toxin. Uh, it's Venom, Carnage, and Spider-Man. And they had no relationship, because Carnage was barely anything. He showed up for a while, he was gone. He became he became Peter's closest friend, essentially. And that's not what is that's meant to be. I think the that's the biggest mistake in Spider-Man Ultimate, especially is just they messed that up so badly. In the uh, in the main continuity, like it's it's really interesting to see how Venom and Carnage play off of each other in like a father son relationship kind of way. But uh, in the yeah. in the Ultimate Universe, there's no relation between them whatsoever. It's uh, the Venom symbiote was created as a project between Peter and Eddie's dad, and then the Carnage symbiote was a result of a failed cloning attempt of Peter. None of them. Uh, in correlation with with each other, uh, and it, it's really interesting to see how it plays off in the main continuity with Venom saying like, "Hey, like, like I'm protecting these people. Like, I'm not going to let you senselessly kill them." Where in this one, they've never been involved whatsoever because of how different their origins are. Um, it, like, yeah. it, it was they were so related because uh, Venom literally gave birth to Carnage, and like without Venom, there wouldn't be Carnage. But in, uh, in the main continuity, but in the Ultimate Universe, if Venom had never been introduced, they could have thrown Carnage in, and they could have thrown Venom in, and then never introduced Carnage at all. Like they're not essential to each other, which is, which is kind of sad because I think one of the best things is to see how those two characters play off each other. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the center points of what makes most Spider-Man comics great is when Venom shows up and he's awesome, and then Carnage is not far behind. It's it's just a really interesting aspect of the Spider-Man mythos, I guess, and they missed out entirely on the Ultimate One. What about the uh, the escaped Scorpion clone? I yeah, no, not a fan of him either. Yeah, but I mean, but it's <laughs> I guess it's technically unresolved. It is it is unresolved, and a lot of the Clone Saga is unresolved because they keep extending it. But I I hope I never see that Scorpion Spider-Man again. I think. He should. He has to show up because he escaped. But I, I, I don't want him to, like at all. I think I'd, I'd, uh, I'd disagree with you there. I think it'd be really interesting to see what they could do with him coming back now. Um, oh, I, you know, what if he's the new? That's spider? what I was just about nah. to say. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it just hit me like like a ton of bricks. I was like, he's the only one who could still possibly be alive. And this guy was the nut who was convinced he was Peter Parker back in the during the ultimate That's series true. and he's the only he, one he was still the alive. one who was most i'm i'm peter he was the closest the, one besides the uh besides the facial distortion that he had he was identical there's no reason to say that he couldn't have fixed himself an example of that is kane in the main universe who used to have his skin true. all uh all messed up because of cellular degeneration and then he's fixed now he's he looks more like peter there's no reason to say that yeah. this maybe this guy is because i've from i can't remember where i read it but uh this char- this character, this Spider-Man with the messed up face uh, that was that kidnapped Mary Jane, is supposed to be the ultimate Kane. So I wow, this yeah. hit me so suddenly. This this Spider-Man could be Kane. This like I'm starting to believe it could be. 
you just made me think that, and now I'm sad that I thought that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> wow. Oh, now we really now I can't wait for issue number five. This is too much. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I think I think that'd be interesting. I want to see them bring him back. He was I thought he was, he was a great character, and he's technically the only clone we still know nothing about. Like uh, the. Yeah. The other one, the six-armed one, uh, can't really like the name escapes. I'm just gonna go with Peter Six-armed. Uh, he, <laughs> he was he was killed. We saw that completely. Doctor Octopus killed him. Jessica Drew. Yeah. We know we know what's happened with her. She's Black Widow now in all new Ultimates. Praying for that. Um, and Peter is gone. And the only unresolved one we have is Kane. So it'd be interesting to see if they bring him back. And it's gonna be even more interesting to see if this. Peter, if this Spider-Man here is Kane. That would be interesting. I will submit to that one. That one would be cool. It's my top theory now. I think like, that's who it's going to be. Kyle, any uh, any loose threads or threads cut too soon? The one that I was going to say about the Ultimates. So uh-huh. that's the one I was sitting on. <laughs> but then they got removed. <laughs> I, I, I took it from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I think Miles is... Miles is... Um, story has kind of been worked around two events that it kind of seems like it does those make no sense to have happened and they've just had to deal with deal with it captain america said he was going to train him captain america was supposed to be feeling guilty for god knows how long after peter's death because he never trained him and then he never bothers to get around to training Miles, so and now yeah. he's allegedly dead. So, are you gonna do? Thanks, Dan, for the question. And remember, you can join the conversation as well. Uh, just drop us a line, feedback at ultimatespinpodcast dot com, and we'll be happy to uh, take your questions and comments and read them out on the show. We'd love to hear comments from people, especially if you are struck my ego. I'm perfectly fine. With that. <laughs> Kyle, what's what's coming up? Oh, coming up in August, we have the next issue of All New Ultimates, which I know we are all looking forward to talking about next month. Now ten. (laughs) It's the last (laughs) issue to to conclude the story with the serpent skulls, Um, and it's also the last issue that the artist before an artist change, Amica. Amical Pina will be leaving and you know what I'm going to do you a favour artist I'm not even going to try and say your name because I'm going to end up butchering it so badly that nobody's going to know who I was talking about when issue 7 comes <laughs> out which I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot at it go for it go Giannis alright here we go <clears throat> Giannis Milano Giannis that might be yeah it still sounds like Greek. Yeah, that but, sounds pretty good. Actually. I almost hurt myself doing that, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> so yeah, that's the artist change and convince. Uh, funnily enough, that is that, that series seems to be double shipping this in uh, this month, which August. Um, start of a new story. 
and hopefully it will be the start of a positive upswing for the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I've also got here for September, continuing that as well with Ultimate, no new Ultimates 8, which appears for it to be going back to the one-a-month format. Oh, God, three of these. <laughs> <laughs> three it's a daunting one. task. Yeah. Okay, no, no, open mind. I can do, we can do it. All right. <laughs> we should give it a shot. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. We will. All right. And of, and of course, with that issue, it all has to do the obligatory oath, and things will not be the same after this. <laughs> right. This, this is the game changer. Yeah. Like as if we didn't know, but like. The, the dates currently solicited for the old ones were um, 13th for issue 6, 13th of August for issue 6, 27th of August for issue 7, and the 10th of September for issue 8. But of course, keep in mind that. They may delay, might put it forward, whatever. No, they're not guaranteed till the week of. And the, yeah. the one that we're all the most looking forward to, of course, is issue five of Miles Morales' Ultimate Spider-Man, which is still the most unnecessarily long title for a series, closely followed by yeah. Bucky Barnes' The Winter Soldier. <laughs> that um, one's going to suck. Awful <laughs> <laughs> oh, hated it. <laughs> oh, terrible. Um... And this one, with obviously after all we've talked about, issue four and the cliffhanger, this one is sure to be something continuing on to a great story with that Bendis and Marquez are working towards. I think this might, if this is the one that concludes the book, this story arc, which it may or may not be, I know Valerio Gitti um, will be <laughs> taking over soon for at least the story arc. Which is, mm-hmm. if you've seen his work on, especially Journey into Mystery before the last volume of Journey into Mystery, it's with some really nice artwork. And then, mm-hmm. most uh, possibly the most interesting one is all new X Men number thirty two, as that will also, of course, be f- featuring Miles for some reason because it looks like the all new X Men are going from the regular universe to the ultimate universe mm-hmm. yeah which looks is, like we're getting a, a big crossover event yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of strange considering we've gone from we will never cross over to okay we'll do spider-man <laughs> okay we'll have galactus mm-hmm. 616 galactus come over okay so yeah um, Oh wait! Speaking just just a quick thing about Galactus. Did Galactus get destroyed completely in Cataclysm, or did they just send him somewhere I else? I think they sent him into some kind of uh, not negative zone, but uh, he was banished to like an alternate uh, another Earth, an alternate somewhere. What what if he shows up in like Marvel Zombie World or something? That would be interesting. No, he's already dead in the Zombie World. Or at least that. Yeah, but he's a separate Galactus, so he can show up wherever he wants now. Yeah. So basically, the Ultimates have taken the Galactus six one six Galactus and and the six one six Mysterio. So they're just gone, and nobody will ever mention what happened. They've just misplaced them, basically. (laughs) They just put them somewhere. They're like. Put it over there. We don't have to worry about it. They're like that one friend that you lend stuff and they never give it back. 
Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to this uh, all-new X-Men, uh, if anything, just because it's uh, it's Bendis writing it. So if anyone, you know, he knows that character. So uh, I'm not anticipating anything major. I think it'll just be a bit of fun, but with, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's only good for the character just to bring him to a wider audience. Also, though, I, I'm absolutely in love with the puns in the solicitations. Just, I guess you don't always have to travel miles away to visit a new place. But will the web they find themselves tangled in ultimately bring their end? Yeah. And like, like, it's, just, it's just, oh, there, I, I love, I'm a fan of awful puns, so that drew me in right away. Slightly not Miles related, but she's in his a book with him. Um, Jessica Drew for Spider-Verse will be in a miniseries called the scarlet spider featuring her even though she's not the scarlet spider she's black widow Mm. but whatever um kane and the returning ben riley and yeah um for miles's role in spider face itself dan slot said it will affect all spiders everywhere apart from the ones that they can't use but yeah. <laughs> he will be featuring in some form in Edge of Spider-Verse and in Amazing Spider-Man. He will at least make an appearance. Again, Slot said he'll have a big role, but if you've been reading comics and especially paying attention to Dan Slot for a prolonged amount of time, they're probably talking absolute garbage. <laughs> um, so Spider-Verse may, again, they've been kind of vague as talking about how major or affect all the other series well mainly ultimate spider-man but i expect it will be on the lines of spider-verse i mean not spider-verse sorry spider-men where miles will reference it later on but it will really not made any difference whatsoever as it continues to screw around with the timeline yeah. like mm, how pretty much spider-man yep. spider-man is written by brian bendis and so is Ultimate Comic Spider-Man. And yet, the two series do not fit in together. Somebody explain to me how that one works. I do not understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that weird gap that they they kind of tried to squeeze it in. But you're right, it didn't quite, quite it, line it, up. It fails on the fundamental fact that in 1617, that's where it's supposed to happen, somewhere between there, he meets yeah. Aunt May for the first time. And she gives him web shooters. Mm-hmm. In Ultimate, in Spider Man, he doesn't have web shooters. And but when he he's with with um, Aunt May, he's playing around with Peter's old ones. Right, and that it makes no sense. But anyway, enough of that because I think I spent like way too long of that annoying me or just bugging me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all... a perfectly valid thing to annoy you because yeah. that's very very irritating. Especially how friendly they they are, even though May doesn't care about him at all until the web shooters are given to him. And so there's no relationship there. <laughs> kind of annoying as well because, like I said, Miles has referenced Spider-Man before. He references him in... He references it in the first issue. When he, no, second issue. Yeah, second issue when he's talking about, oh, which Peter Parker is this? And he, he re- yeah. makes a reference to Spider-Man. So, yeah, or in uh, 200 at the funeral, they did too. Yeah. So let's just mm-hmm. keep making reference to it, but not being able to fit it in with anything, because that's exactly what I need yeah. in my life. And then <laughs> we have Web Warriors, 
Spider-Man Web Robberies TV show, which premieres on the 31st of August in the United States of America, which, congratulations, we had this show in the UK about two months ago. But Miles... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Miles has yet to appear as of yet, because they are, of course, leading it to when Spider-Verse actually happens. Uh, Spider-Verse portion. But for those looking forward to Agent Venom, which is awesome, my favorite for my favorite Venom. You've got mm. that to look forward to, and a couple other people that will be joining the roster. And I think of what I've seen of it, it will also lead into Spider Verse. These first few issues, as he recruits his team. Interesting, awesome. awesome. So I think that's about it that we've got I'm coming up for the next month. Yeah. And just uh, on a final kind of ridiculous note, I should mention that Miles has uh, the Ultimate Universe is down to three titles. So it's Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, All New Ultimates, uh, which also features Miles, of course, and then Ultimate FF, um, which is uh, a book that's already been canceled and is wrapping up with, I believe, issue six. And I haven't been following it, but uh, they have had... <laughs> A fascinating crossover uh, based on the uh, 80s version of uh, anthropomorphized animal characters based on Marvel. So Peter Porker, Spider-Ham. In this universe, they meet the ultimate version of Spider-Ham, who is, of course, Miles Morhamis. Which was... (laughs) So he has a... He has a cameo and a a pretty significant uh, role, or he conveys, I guess, the next bit of... uh, plot uh, to kind of move the characters forward to, I guess, the finale of the series. But um, we could put some uh, some panels of it uh, on our website. But basically, it's it's so ridiculous and it's played completely straight, which is phenomenal. I guess the book's canceled and they figured, what the heck, we'll just do whatever we want. And this is an amazing way to go out. So I just love it so much. And if you're having doubts... <laughs> If you're having doubts about picking it up, just one word that will win you over, Galactopus. <laughs> <laughs> Which must be seen to be believed. So we'll we'll put that up on our website. So. Oh man, the art is just, it's it's so funny, like you said, how it's played so seriously. Like these characters take this like life and death, but we're looking at this and it looks so ridiculous. See, a platypus in a Galactus costume. <laughs> but this is the this is the source of terror for these characters, and for us it's humor. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> Love it. I want so much more of it and I'm bad for liking it. <laughs> well, you should have been buying the book, see? It's people I like should've. you. I should I should have paid attention. This earlier. is what you get. <laughs> so. that you could want, and instead you're what reading all new ultimates. Yeah, and that's why you have all new ultimates. <laughs> so we'll see you next month. Yeah, this is my Ebenezer Scrooge moment of realization. They're like, oh no, I should have been reading Ultimate FF. Like, <laughs> what we could have had, and what Ghost of Comic Past. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> thanks for listening visit us at ultimatespinpodcast.com where you can find show notes subscribe on itunes and stitcher and share your feedback we'll be glad to feature your comments and questions on the show a big hello to those joining us from superiorspidertalk.com but 
that name's new to you, you can definitely make time to explore its growing archive of in-depth articles and reviews, including my own write-ups for Ultimate Spider-Man. It's also home to the Amazing Spider-Talk podcast, which offers a really engaging conversation following the main series. Miles Morales issue 5 is scheduled for September 5th, and as far as we're concerned, it can't get here fast enough. We'll catch you next month for the ultimate spin.